Hi, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. With you today, with a fantastic guest, Dr. Rachel Allen. We have so much in common, so I'm especially thrilled to bring you Dr. Allen today. Dr. Allen is a holistic psychologist, a author of the new book coming up, The Pleasure is All Yours, which I can't wait to read. She's a retreat leader and a yogi and a pleasure activist. So how much better does that get? So thank you for being here. Yes, it's my pleasure. Let's get that word in as much as possible. Um, we'll just yeah. keep saying it. <laughs> no, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm glad that somebody was able to introduce us and we can connect like this. Yes, yes. It, it cracks me up that now people associate me with pleasure because it took me 49 years to to find it and acknowledge it and find the value in it. So I'm curious for you if this is a new, um, not just term uh, that you use often, but do you feel like you're in your pleasure uh, for the first time in a long time or has this been inside of you all the time, all, all your life? Well, I think it's always been inside of me my whole life as it's been inside of all of us. But I do think, yes, definitely had some phases where it got buried. And it was probably in those phases, though, that I had the most growth and transformation to really relish in it in the way I do now and find balance in it the way I do now. But you know, I think like a lot of people, it's just the brutal aspects of life and, you know, capitalist country and the modern world have definitely, yeah, it's, it's, it's come and gone from time to time. But more recently in my life, it's, it's fairly steady, but I will say there was, there were some months there sort of grinding out the book yeah. and working my, I have full caseload during the pandemic that um, I, I can't say that I was really embodying um, anything other than sitting on my ass. And oh, right, that right. pleasurable. <laughs> so. I remember um, when I was trying to pump out a lot of um, pleasure podcasts in one week, my husband would come down and say, why are you so stressed? I'm like, I'm trying to record my pleasure podcast. Like, I was like this is <laughs> paradoxical and not okay. I'm not, I need to practice what I preach. So, so yes. And, but of course there's times in our lives, for instance, when you're trying to publish a book where it's work and probably over functioning and um, not as much time or energy for pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Life. Hey, there's pain in life. We know that there's pain and suffering, but um, you know, yeah, it's, it's at this point in my life, I, I will say I, I've, I've been more connected to pleasure throughout my life more so than I would say I've been connected to just really healthy ways of self-regulating to cope with pain. Um, um, so that I definitely feel like more and more I have leaned into. And I think once I became a yoga teacher and did my training, that was a huge transformation as far as coping with discomfort. Yes. Yes. Which is, it's like the shadow side of pleasure, but we have to understand that just as much to move through it, um, and to hold those poses and to feel the sometimes discomfort of them and the, um, hopefully not pain of the poses, but the pain that bubbles up inside of us when we're holding in stillness, um, that that's, that's powerful. And I know that I find when I'm at my most stressed moments, I know the mat going to the mat will help. And sometimes it feels too vulnerable because I know it's going to mm -hmm. make everything bubble up to the yeah, surface. Yeah. I resist like it 
At least you're consciously aware of what you're recording, right? That's step, that's step one. That certainly helps. Kind of like I, I can, you know, from time to time, like anybody, I'll have a little emotional eating, but I'm, you know, at this point in my life, quite consciously aware of doing it. And it's not nearly what it might've been when I was, you know, 18 or something. Is it still called emotional eating if we're very consciously aware that we are emotional eating? <laughs> yeah. Stress eating, all that. Exactly. Um, yeah. Which I mean, it doesn't take away the pleasure necessarily. In fact, it's it's some pleasure sometimes that we need. It's just a matter of yeah, of, of being intentional about it. Exactly. And when you were writing your book, you were mentioning you sit a lot, which is which is I'm sure hard for you because so much of your book is also about bodyfulness, which I'd love for you to define but getting into your body. And so it's probably didn't even feel natural to sit so long I know what that feels like the edits and the edits and the edits yeah right right and so I definitely did not feel I felt like a hypocrite because I was certainly sitting a ton and I was in front of screens all the time because at that point we it was telemedicine and so a lot of the book is also talking about how we have you know nature deprivation disorder and we don't make eye contact and we're not connected to one another and yet all I was doing was sitting and staring at a screen but hey I've I definitely feel like I've, I've bounced back now. And there's just that ebb and flow of, of life, you know, and yes. trusting that we can get back into the p- pleasure practices and restoration that we need. Yes. And, and because we were deprived of, you know, socialization and being outside as much as we maybe wanted to be and moving our bodies as much as we wanted to during the pandemic. Um, and I acknowledge that it's still going on right now. It's July, 2021. If anybody's listening years from now, this is where we are in the world. Um, but do you feel like people have a, like a, there's a reclamation of pleasure practices and a, a greater awareness for how important they are? I definitely see that trending for sure. And I've talked with people, I know a lot of people just in the wellness industry in general, including more of the, the beauty industry, whether it be um, facials and massages or, or um, nails, this or that. And I know that there's been kind of an explosion of that too. People who maybe even for a year or two before the pandemic weren't tending to self-care mm. adornments that way or kind of reclaiming it. Um, you know, and that, that can be a tricky topic as far as some of the beauty myth and you know, some of the preposterous trends uh, that are sold to women as far as how they should look and perform and act. But overall, I have noticed not only people wanting, it seems like there's two groups, some people who are still really um, in fear, understandably, and some people who are just getting out, shooting out of the gates. And um, somebody, I heard somebody say, it's like going to be like the summer of sexually transmitted infections. People are just like, I want to own my pleasure in whatever form. you know, responsibility be damned. And so that's part of what I do love about pleasure is that it is this nuanced concept as far as whether we over rely on it and, and kind of seek it out with dependence and with abandon or aggressiveness, as opposed to something that really enhances and expands our life versus something that we have to grasp for because we don't know how to cope otherwise. Yes. And do you talk a lot um, or at all in your book about um, when there's too much pleasure at all, you know, if we're um, sometimes, and I'll think of it as an, in a sexual sense for the moment, but when it's too much, too fast, too soon, that it's not in integrity or safe sometimes. I'm just curious if that. Yeah. Well, I think for sure we, uh, one of our, our, as humans, our favorite ways to cope is avoidance. And and what better way than to reach for these things that boost, you know, the neurotransmitters, the feel-good chemicals in our brain, 
Um, and it's, it's easy just to succumb to that without recognizing that it, you know, it can interfere with important aspects of life or just with actually feeling what we need to feel, expressing yeah. what we need to express, you know, it's like the idea that the only way out is through. So obviously pleasure can be a way to numb and avoid, but it can also really be a way to enhance, expand, connect even greater intimacy to ourselves mm -hmm. and others and, and whether it be emotional or physical. So, mm -hmm. and that's part of why I, you know, I wanted to write about it too, is that, you know, joy and happiness are pretty undisputed, but it's like the, the kind of marginalized seat at the table where that pleasure sits at. It's so misunderstood. It's, there's such a reductionist view of the word that it's dirty or it's only sex. Right. And um, I'm happy to connect it to sex, but I also um, talk with people about if you aren't really able to just enjoy the pleasure of eating that first bite without guilt or walking in nature, playing uh, with, and just enjoying the process without the outcome, it's going to probably make for a lot more lackluster sexual pleasure if you aren't able to embody these other types as well. Um, yes. But it's all foreplay. It's all the foreplay of life. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And in, in my podcast, as, as listeners who have been listening for a while know that, um, the reason why I wanted to focus on pleasure is because there was so much pain. I had to balance it out and fuel myself uh, to stay present and engaged in, in life and heal. Um, and so I, and I've been open about disclosing that I'm in a struggling sexless marriage and that my child is, my child is chronically ill. And so my life doesn't on the outset look pleasurable. And so I have to get very scrappy and intentional about reclaiming my pleasure. And I think I heard you say it once, um, you know, that means that sometimes that means catching a ray of sunlight when you're drinking your coffee in the morning, like a cat would, or mm -hmm. drinking your coffee slowly, or finding work that's in your pleasure, reading a book that's in your pleasure it doesn't always have to look like sex. Although I think our body and our sexual energy um, and awareness is quite important. So I went and reclaimed my sensuality and sexuality, despite not having any behaviors with others to play with um, during that. And it was still a beautiful revolution. Um, so I think I just want to keep reiterating this to people because I think people feel like it's not in the cards for me now. My life doesn't feel pleasurable. It doesn't have the space or the time for it. And I think we can always make. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. I, I think for sure my worry was there that a criticism of my work and the book at this time is like, really, really, Rachel, is this this is what we need to focus on? I mean, look at what's happening to our climate. Look at what's happening to black and brown bodies. Look at how there are people that have lost their job in a global pandemic. What pleasure if there's ever the like the last thing on our priority list. Mm. And so. I had to really, a lot of the research I dug into, I had to help justify why it is essential and how it leads to resilience and how it actually, our own pleasure and collective moments of pleasure really lead to more altruism and compassion for others. And it's really moments of pleasure that actually lead to the longer lasting states of joy and happiness as well. Um, so it's, it's all, for me, so much of it, I can't help but think of it as sort of um, like building blocks, like Yes. I don't know about you too, as um, in work as, as a therapist and coach and whatnot. I mean, people will come and their goal, people will be like, I want to have these mind blowing orgasms here. Like it's like top of the peak of the mountain here. And then I'll be like, do you like your body? No. Do you know your body? No. Do you, you know, do you, do you ever look at your body without contempt? I mean, it's, so it's like, 
for me, it was such this step-by-step process that I felt was so important. If people don't even know their body, trust their body to get to this place of really gratifying intimacy, emotional and sexual seemed really far off. It's like, wait a minute, we, we can't have, you know, this life hack of great sex. If you don't even really connect and love your body. Now, bodyfulness doesn't mean you love your body and every bit of it all the time, but it, there is this just real respect and wisdom that you can turn to in it um, and listen to. Yes. Good. And before I forget, as you're talking about, you know, is this the right time uh, to talk about pleasure? Um, and, and I understand I had the same, I guess, self uh, or doubting thoughts about, does this come from a place of privilege? Am I being sensitive to what's going on in the world? And, um, and then I thought about why I, why I chose pleasure and it's our birthright. It's everybody's birthright, like humanity's birthright. And so it be- I became not just a pleasure activist, but more of an activist once I tapped into my own pleasure and how I could translate that to others um, and, and my children and my partners and my friends and, and everybody. So I just, I think yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a path inward that then allows us to realize um, how much we how much we have and how much we can give. I don't know. I just found so much um, awareness in it, in the, in the path. Um, but mm-hmm. interestingly, my path started in learning about how people survived the Holocaust. And so that people survived the Holocaust in laughter and in community and in finding still bits of pleasure and sharing recipes or whatever it, it was. And, and so it, it often comes from a very deep place of grief and um and fear that we that we realize our birth our birthright and that our innate state is supposed to be in joy and pleasure and we yeah and then it's conditioned out of us or robbed from us um but yeah mm-hmm. it, may be, it may be want to fight for for it for everybody more I guess is my point yeah and, and I found that a lot of what uh, really inspired the book and a, a big thread for, for those that might criticize our focus on pleasure during these trying times but so much of my message too is about it's really anti-repression mm-hmm. and how um that when we're holding everything in and we're kind of bottled up and we don't feel like we can um, accept our emotions or accept our desires and we we can't release them and move it through and share in them with others trusted others we become sick you know it, it becomes that disease becomes disease in the body and that's certainly not pleasurable at all right right yeah uh, so these natural aspects of being human i mean we all have a body we all came from sexual beings and yet everybody has a story of shame around their emotionality, their sexuality, and their body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's, it's so much about how do we reclaim our right to be human and, um, and to release and to have desire and, and then really kind of all the creativity and connection that can be inspired and grow from, mm-hmm. from body awareness of, and of our desires and our need for belonging and sensuality. So. Um, it's, you know, it's not an easy path. It's a practice to get there for a lot of us, but it's a pretty amazing one from time yes. to time, that's for sure. And and the path begins with um, the awareness of our body, but also moving our body. And and you refer to it as bodyfulness. So I'd love for you to describe or define, I guess, what that means to you, mm-hmm. body, bodyfulness. 
Yeah, right. I mean, even the word itself, I'm like, ooh, it's a pleasurable word, I, mm-hmm. you know, to say. Um, and a lot of it grew out of how ubiquitous mindfulness was becoming. And yes, mindfulness is really powerful. And yet it's still kind of in line with our our centuries of conditioning to be so focused on the mind and really elevate the mind on this pedestal, the rational mind, and then denigrate the body as savage and impulsive and primal. Um, and, and given what we now know too, with neuroscience and work in trauma, I mean, we know that trauma lives in our body and we know that trauma wants to move through and mindfulness doesn't get there. It certainly is a start. And so bodyfulness does, it's really starts with, Hey, we need to have embodied mindfulness. Absolutely. Like what is actually happening here? Awareness, recognition, that inner listening, you know, that inner curiosity versus criticism to just to get to know ourselves in our body, our, our, not just our intellect, but our heart brain, our gut brain, our visceral body, our groin brain, uh, all those inner working aspects. But then there's the now what that is really differentiates from mindfulness of like, what what do we do with that information? And that's where a lot of somatic psychology comes in of if we have a toolbox of discharging strategies or containment strategies, that leads to the kind of body trust and body confidence that we can take with us wherever we go. And it really then opens us up more to uh, things like peace, ease, safety, joy, and pleasure. And so another element of bodyfulness that then goes beyond a lot of somatic psychology, which is so much about establishing safety. I get that. But and and it talks about pleasure, but then it doesn't really kind of teach us how to step into our pleasure. So a lot of bodyfulness is this is how we can reclaim, like you said, what is our birthright and how not only does it really lead to our own healing, but a type of collective care that is really sacred and needed. And what is your favorite way to, to get to that place? Is it vocal? Is it shaking? Is it dancing? Is it yoga? Just curious what you do for yourself. Yeah. Me personally. Yeah. 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 Oh, for, yeah. I mean, absolutely. Dancing, singing. I I don't have a singing voice yet. Any chance to do karaoke that I can get boom there. Um, Yeah. I think absolutely that vibrational energy of sound Um, Mm -hmm. certainly like sensuality and um, you know, connecting to touch and sex and, you know, being in my body that way I grew up an athlete. So I'm just very kinesthetic and physical and Mm -hmm. touch is a big thing for me too. Um, But, and yeah, so different activities like sports um, and also I have, since I have mild ADHD and maybe we all do nowadays, but it's also, I learned growing up that that is what regulated me too. So yeah. um, really being physical and in the outdoors, but then yeah, connected to other, like trusted others and connected to desire. Um, so that's, yeah, the, but I, I'll, I'll anything I, you know, my, I might during this podcast just suddenly start sighing or you might notice me stretching a little bit. Doing a little. <laughs> I just, I wait, yeah, I wait a little lot too. I, I found that if I'm not talking, it's not, it's stuck in my throat. It's stuck in my throat chakra. And I talk to my clients all the time about the connection between the second chakra and the sacral chakra and, and how one connects to the other. And if you release one, the other releases and, and even the, the um, similarities in, have you seen those, the pictures of like the larynx and the cervix, how they look identical oh it's no, so cool I'll send I'll oh. send you a visual yeah. um it was it was really neat to see the visual too but if, but of course the correlation so if I'm not 
talking or sighing or crying or singing, I'm blocked in my sacral chakra and sensuality and sexuality too. So yeah, but I love hearing from people what works for them um, because it's not always journaling or meditating um, or walking or running or whatever it be. I just, it's, it's so individualized. Yeah. Right. No, right. And so that's where it's hard because people ask me, how does this going to work? What are you going to do as my therapist? And it's like, I need to get to know you and we can explore um, together, but it's a lot of questioning. Like, you know, while you're on the mat, does it feel good to stretch this way or that way faster, slower? And I think that's what cultivates that, you know, discernment process of knowing like what, what, what does my body want? How does that inform my desires or my self-regulation or my meaning and purpose, which is, you know, those are also types of pleasure, you know, and figuring out sort of our, authenticity and our truth and our voice. Yeah. It's, um, but you know, if we're stuck in our heads and those limiting storylines, skewed beliefs, I mean, that's what I just see so much overthinking and people, they believing that they can think their way out of mm-hmm. the pain and into change and just neglecting the body. So I'm, even though I get, of course, it's this cause and effect between the mind and the body and the brain. Um, I'm such a champion of the body because it's just, it's like kind of the raw data and this ultimate Mm -hmm. truth. And it's what we can turn to in real time in the moment. There's a present moment reality to tending to our body or moving our body or sighing from our body or touching it. Mm -hmm. And it goes straight to the source of the trauma and the stress um, in a way that we can't think our way out of. That's for sure. I'm thinking about my experiences in yin yoga, which is for those that are listening rather than very active yoga. So you hold these poses for three to five minutes in stillness and you're like, the time is ticking very slowly. <laughs> and then the issues in our tissues, especially in a hip opener, like pigeon pose are just like pouring out and, and how raw it feels and vulnerable. Um, and how I find that when I'm avoiding or numbing out that I'll do the more active yoga. And then I know that I need to just get down on the floor and hold a pose and yeah. sit, sit with it. But that takes practice because it's scary. And if you're not in a safe place um, or a safe studio or with a safe instructor for you, then it, and then it will not feel pleasurable um, or healing even. So, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I remember feeling kind of when I first started doing yoga, feeling ashamed by my fidgeting. And so I also try to tell people, look, that is also your body's, it can be your body's way of wanting to discharge. And, and that can be connected to your need to distract because it's hard. And so like, let the body release and then just set the intention to try to come back into more of a mm-hmm. yeah, stillness. But mm-hmm. as a busy bee, as a person who's just naturally, yeah, can be um, a little more restless and fidgety. I never want people to feel like you must be still like yoga means that you are, you know, you're not distracted at all. And, oh my um, God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make it your own. I'm, I'm a big fan of just like, yeah, this is your body's different every day. You know, you're the expert of you, you know what you need, you know, what pleasure is to you. Actually, a lot of people don't necessarily know what pleasure is to them. Um, but, but they know sort of just some of the, um, signs along the way of like, yes. yeah, what feels good and what doesn't. And how do you help people tap in? If you say, what do you, what do you enjoy or what's in your pleasure? What do you want? And then there's this kind of blank stare and we need to get into our bodies to find it or tap into our intuition and deeper knowing what uh, tools do you use or enjoy to tap into that intuition and knowing? Right, right. Because like you were alluding to it, um, it's four powerful words to say, what do you want? 
And we might think, well, of course people know what they want, but you know, and a lot of my book is geared towards people who maybe did know, and it, it got buried because they are nurturers. They're working around the clock. They're caring for others. There's so, so much need. And we know that there's a lot of need in the world. Um, so people have forgotten. And so one way that I, I like to start usually when, in one of my first sessions is to connect to their essence. Like what is your essence? Mm. And so by that, I mean something unchanging that might go back to childhood. You know, what lights you up for? So it can include hobbies and interests. Yes. But it can be something as simple as, you know, what makes you laugh or that you love, um, cats or that you, um, yeah, I mean, that cooking always calms you or just because that unchanging essence, which is not, has nothing to do with our outer form of what we look like necessarily, you know, how much we weigh, how much money we make, the zip code we live in, whether we have a partner or not, um, strips it down. And I think that reconnects people just like, oh yeah, I guess when I was a kid, I like love doing puzzles so much and I haven't done a puzzle in 40 years. You know, <laughs> Yes. And, and, right. And, and why not? And, and we could play more. I think I wrote something today where, you know, we should um, allow our inner children inside of us to grow and heal, but then allow the adult in us to then play, you know, there comes a time yeah. when that ability to play or we uh and it's or it's conditioned out of us or we don't have time for it and then once we make time for for play puzzles or games or dancing it fuels us to be able to do the other things that are on our list that we think we need to do right i mean play is healing play is reparative play is it can you know yeah help us confront risks and yeah it, it's a healing process all of its own that's the thing I mean that's it's it's just so ludicrous that something that is so life-giving these different pleasure practices that are so life-giving reparative restorative have been deemed just the opposite and I think it's yeah. because you know they hold um, power and erotic energy holds power and it was scary and it maybe it took us away from the religion of the time or the industrial revolution of the time and working and but we, we can't become robots. We can't become these cyborgs, you know, it, it's, it's making us sick. Yes. Yes. And I love that idea of um, expression, not repression and to remind ourselves of the, um, and would you say, especially in our country or just like we're thinking about it worldwide, like, where do you think we stand as a country in terms of our ability to receive pleasure and embrace, um, you know, leisure? <laughs> Well, like I mentioned in my, my TEDx talk, it, we are, the, the United States is one of the most uh, repressed, um, kind of pleasure starved <laughs> countries up there with apparently with the Vatican and um, wow. some, 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 not all, some Muslim countries. So we, yeah, we, we got to get our shit together here. Um, yeah. so, and a lot of it is just, I think to start with, for some people to get them on board, it's like, say yes to the pleasure of rest. Mm. <laughs> say, or say, say yes to saying no, that mm. idea of less is more like, cause we have such this focus on achieving and more and more, you know, do more, be more and be faster. And so it's like, no, you know what, find pleasure. And sometimes just saying no, saying enough, good enough, um, saying I'm going to rest or I'm going to take care of me, whatever that might look like. Yes. Would you say across the board that getting off screen and off social media is a really good idea? I (laughs) do as I say, not as I do, because I'm completely addicted to scrolling all of them. But I know inside, if I could work through that addiction, that I would feel more in my pleasure and Mm -hmm. less, less 
competitive or over uh, functioning and all the things. It's so funny that we can see it in ourselves. <laughs> I know it's this tricky double-edged sword of here. We want to have technology to help. Yeah. To entertain, to educate, to connect, but it's similar to everything. It's all about balance. I mean, I was just on a family reunion this past weekend and while people were hiking and stuff, unfortunately I was having to work, um, which just having to do with my book coming out and everything. But um, but then Friday night, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm not going to work. I'm going to take Saturday off. But then knowing me, I probably would have done a little bit, but somehow the Wi-Fi went out, like nobody could use their phones. So everybody was more engaged. I, it was like the two most relaxing hours I had of the whole weekend. I was kind of disappointed when somebody discovered that the, how to fix the modem and it was back on. It's like, oh, I just felt so relaxed for those two hours, not, not having that as an option. Yes. And, and you're in Minnesota, so maybe it's the same for you, but we have a lot of storms here in Maine in the winter, obviously more likely. And if we don't have a generator, the power goes out. And first I think, oh dear, I've flushed the toilet and all the food in the fridge is going to go bad. But then the second thing or third thing I think is, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Like what? Seriously? (laughs) And of course my teenage son's like, mom, this is an emergency. He's like, what do I do with my hands? What do we do with my brain? And then my, you know, if the sun is out, we can obviously read or write or play, but if it's dark, I see the panic in me too uh, now. And I notice it that, that how much we've become accustomed to turning to our screens for eh, pleasure, numbing out, distraction, mm. learning, all of it. And, so, and I think we lose that turning, tuning in um, uh, or communication, having a conversation with our right people. right because then, then there's just so much noise it's all the noise we have the noise of literally the beeps and the traffic and then we have the noise yeah. in our own head and i'm when people get into just the quiet and you know nature and slow down i think that yeah that's a really amazing pleasure all mm-hmm. its own and that definitely connects us i think to our you know our, our inner wisdom and our body mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely need to go on some retreats where there's no Wi-Fi. I mean, I guess I could just unplug it in my house, you know, now and then. <laughs> That's the thing is like, we actually have the ability to go on a uh, screen retreat or whatever people say, you know, go, go into the wilderness, unplug. I'm like, I could actually unplug right now, but <laughs> right. it's hard. Yeah. It's kind of like exercise or meditation. Like I start my sessions with my clients. I always start with a guided meditation and nice. it's often just five minutes. And they're like, you know, it's, I get so much from that yet. I'm never going to do it on my own. And you, when you do it, you start the session. It just it reminds me. It feels so good. And do you, um, I find that with, with personal training too, people say, you know what, as soon as I get here, I, I want to exercise. It feels so good. I love it. And I think I should do this every day. And when I go home, it doesn't happen. And then I admit, I don't do it every day either because I get distracted by, you know, dishes or laundry or work. Um, but I think if we have a place to go, or if you're guiding them through a meditation and there's somebody holding us accountable to it until it's in our habit and our practice, that's, that's understandable that you would need a guidance or somebody to, to help you through it. Um, I would need somebody at this point to guide me through visualizations for me to get yeah. back to my meditation practice. Yeah. yeah. There are some pleasures that we can just own and kind of give ourselves. And then there's a lot of pleasures that um, are really 
maximize and all, all the more expanded, yeah, when we share them with others, whether it be sexual and erotic pleasures or something like sharing in, in a meditation or a walk in the woods or, you know, um, and that sense of connection and belonging that comes from that. So it's, yeah, and yeah, we all have to kind of figure out like, okay, what do I need to do to get my shit done? And like, when and how do I want to invite in others? And then hoping that they're, they can unplug and not be so busy to to share in that presence with you. Yes. If you decide um, I'm going to connect and not go on screen, and then you expect everybody in your house to play along, you might want to have a conversation with them first and check in. It's so funny because I think the universe is speaking. Like since I started talking about storms, the sky, it's middle of the day. The sky is black. There's a lightning storm out there. Ooh. I might lose power. <laughs> um, and then it'll be like, ha ha ha. I'll give you what you're asking for. Uh, uh, light some candles. Yeah, exactly. Get Grab a book. Um, but the so, pleasure of a summer storm. I mean, there's something to be said for that. Like I just, I'm, it's evoking just sort of my own senses and thinking of that. I love it. Yes. There's electricity in the air and um, we live near the ocean. I can't see the ocean from where I am, but, um, but yeah, like watching a storm roll in um, is really powerful um you could go and, run out into the rain like they do uh, in like a hollywood movie and just you know put the arms up have some that's <laughs> awesome i'll do that and then i'm going to try really hard not to post that because that's the other thing is <laughs> when we do something in our pleasure is it because we are going to tell people about it and show people like look at me in my i'm at the top of a mountain mm -hmm. food yeah. or whatever or can we enjoy it just for ourselves, for our own pleasure and not share it to the world. That's, that's challenging these days. Well, and I think that, you know, that brings up a couple of things too, that I, and I, I touched upon in my book as well, that, you know, for, especially for a woman to completely embody and own pleasure in her life, whether it be the pleasure of um, traveling um, to, you know, places on her own and, or whether it be the pleasure of really like owning herself as in her sexual liberation and kind of her, her sexual freedom, it can be really threatening to people and it can lead to judgment. It can lead to, I mean, that's, and it's still kind of just, it's part of the system. I mean, the system that is gaslighting us um, that is saying that it's, uh, you know, she's a slut or, you know, all sorts of, you know, judgment, mm -hmm. um, especially when it comes to sexual pleasure, a little bit less so if somebody's in their pleasures of, you know, taking time off from work and, um, you know, getting weekly massages. But even so, it's, it's like we, mm -hmm. it's so hard for us to really um, appreciate that in others if we're so starved for it ourselves. And, you know, mm -hmm. because if we've, we've been socialized in the U.S. that women are supposed to be so self-sacrificing versus, you know, give to themselves or own their sexual desires. Yes. If we notice that we're feeling um, angry or jealous of somebody who's in their sexual pleasure or showing their body through whatever, even if it's nudity. And then what is that saying? What is, does that mean that's in our desire? It's something that we envy because we want it. It would be good to notice, you know, does it make us angry because they're doing it or because we don't have it. And, you know, it's, it's a fascinating um, dynamic to notice what, what we, uh, what we envy, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I tell people to con connect to your inner rebel. Like if you're finding that there are, you know, the different messages that we've been socialized to are causing you a lot of pain and not pleasure. Um, it's not easy, but what's the alternative, you know, connect to the inner rebel that says, no, what, what would happen if I owned, 
my right to pleasure? What if I left work today early and I, rather than race to the grocery store to get groceries for others, I went and I just took this leisurely walk, mm. um, you know, and stretched and like, what would happen? Like be <laughs> connect to that inner rebel, which is kind of sad that that is considered rebellious. Rebellious, right, right. right. It, is. Yeah, um, it is. But, and I, you know, part of why it's easy for me to do this work is because I think that I, I can't help but be, um, there's, I just speak to the elephant in the room or to, um, you know, my inner rebel is, is strong. So for me, um, you know, I, it's a much more practice of like, actually, um, you know, maybe you got to follow some social norms and because the alternative might not be that pleasurable either, right? You got to go to the dentist. There's, there's that side pleasure in the fact that you don't get the toothache by going to the unpleasurable act of the dentist. And so right. <laughs> how much pleasure there? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, it's such a, it's such a revolution, I believe right now, um, and a brave one. And I love the idea of being it, that is rebellious because it feels that way to me too, given our culture in this country right now. So I'm so glad there's people like you out there spreading the pleasure, uh, word of pleasure yeah. practices. I have a pleasure retreat. Ooh, yeah. And, and I actually started to uh, create one and across the board, the number one question is, is this about sex? Are you going to sit us in a circle with a mirror between our legs? I'm like, no, I, that would be fun too. And we should do that. But no, that's not the objection. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, as soon as the word pleasure comes up, it, there are a lot of misperceptions. So yeah. That's why I call my, the retreat I'm doing this winter is a bliss, bliss retreat. Cause it's, mm-hmm. yeah, language is powerful. And so, yes. and I mean, similar to like why I felt the need to create the word bodyfulness, you know, if we lack words for things that we don't really value in our culture and we need to value bliss. We need to value our bodies and bodyfulness. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and we need to value pleasure. We need to reframe it and, and reclaim it. Um, but, but yeah, yeah. You say, if it's a pleasure retreat, immediately people think it's an orgy exactly. <laughs> say a bliss retreat. They're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to relax nice. in the hammock with the book. <laughs> bliss sounds enlightened and all of a sudden pleasure feels, you know, naughty. <laughs> yeah. I have, so uh, there was a woman who want naughtiness are going to be like, oh, wait, bliss. We have to like sit and meditate in silence. I don't want to do that. That's good. <laughs> you, you caught, you caught him with bliss. Um, There's a woman in Australia who I spoke to and she called herself a, a pleasurepreneur, um, which gave it a little bit. Uh, it was, I liked it a lot um, because it was, it was still very professional. <laughs> And, but yes, all of it was in her pleasure and she did all, she does all of her work, you know, while nursing her baby on the beach. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Um, So yeah, well, I'm excited. And your book comes out when? The book comes out July 27th. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And, and um, hopefully also a workbook will follow at some point, but, um, but there are, and, and even though it's a, it's an embodiment focused book that is something to read. There are exercises and quizzes and things in the back too. It's a little more interactive, but, but yeah, I'm going to work on a, doing a workbook and, um, and a book club, book club guide as well. will be coming out a few weeks later. So yeah, I I mean, I I really wanted this to be part of the, my spreading my message of pleasure to the people and, you know, therapy and retreats aren't something everybody can afford. Certainly not. So, but ideally a book, getting it from the library or at the, you know, under $20 is, I mean, maybe, I don't know if that was the same thing for you too, just like how, how to spread the message far and wide and not just to people who are privileged. Yes. Well, that was the reason for the podcast. Um, not everybody's going to want to, or be able to buy the book. Not everybody's going to be able to join my coaching programs, but, um, 
but Spotify and the Amazon or the uh, Apple podcast and YouTube um, are uh, accessible to most people. And I, and I'm hoping that people can share this podcast and this conversation with, with folks who, who need to hear these messages right now. And that kind of is everybody. So share it with everybody. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I can just say just like, even your background is very pleasurable to look at. I'm like, Ooh, I, that's inspiring me. <laughs> this is for me a paradox uh speaks to the paradox of pain and pleasure like life is messy but you can also make it beautiful and um a word i made up recently is traumedy like you can make comedy out of trauma just like we're saying you could make pleasure um you know out of grief or rage and so that's that's the reason for the background which is for those that are listening rainbow painted bricks mm, it, felt, yeah. it felt edgy mm-hmm <laughs> Um, so yeah, so thank you. And how can people reach you? Uh, gosh, I guess uh, my website, drrachelallen.com, A-L-L-Y-N. Um, and then um, my Instagram is also all one word, drrachelallen. Um, my book is at thepleasureisallyoursbook.com. Um, and um, slowly trying to get back uh, up and running my YouTube channel. But um, yeah, that's, that's probably the best ways to reach me. Like I mentioned, I, I do some retreats um, right yeah. now. I just have one in January, hoping to have some more. Would love to definitely have like um, thinking of doing one just for women nice. in Palm Springs. So you'd stay tuned for that. Maybe we can enjoy that together. Yes. Um, Please in the winter. <laughs> I know. I know you and I in these call. Oh yeah. My, I can't even tell you like what the most pleasurable thing for me is. I was like, board that flight like November 1st. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> summer down there or you winter down in Florida rather. <laughs> not florida but yeah i mean someplace 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 ah. hawaii yeah as best i can but um i aspire it's funny because ski you know skiing used to be one of my great pleasures now it's it's oddly enough surfing even though it um pummels me every time <laughs> but, i love yeah. that it changes i you know i i used to love winter sports and now i really just don't like being cold um I don't know. It's just different. And that's okay. Right. We evolve. We're meant to evolve. We're always evolving. All relationships, everything, relationship with ourself, relationship to our pleasure, always evolving. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, please reach out to Dr. Rachel Allen. I'll post all the links and in the show notes, and this will be up on the podcast networks as well as on YouTube. So you can watch the episode if you so desire and, um, and then go buy her book and do the quizzes and the worksheets and tap mm-hmm. into your pleasure. Absolutely. And if you want to continue the conversation with me, I'm always excited to hear from my listeners. You can reach me at Pasha at PashaMarlo.com, uh, or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at my name, Pasha Marlowe. Um, and then there's also a Calendly link in the show notes for a, I call it a liberation call. It's like this opportunity to be like, how can we find more pleasure and humor in your life right now, no matter what's going on in your life, which I can mm. definitely relate to. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's my favorite thing to do is to meet new people and then um, hold space for their stories and then just kind of figure out a way in, you know, once you get to talk to somebody, you find out what, what sparks them from childhood or what creativeness uh, is, you know, just under the surface, different backdoor ways into the, uh, to pleasure practices. I love that. 
So, well, I definitely will want to be continuing the conversation with you in some Great. form, sometime, many times in the future. I hope so too. <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure. I knew it would be, <laughs> but yes, mm-hmm. thank you for your work. Thank you for choosing this work and for spreading the word. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Have a great day. Thank you. (laughs) Yay. Bye, everybody.